This is my passport. Do you have a passport? They say when you start looking like the picture on your passport, it's time to go home from vacation. <laughs> have you ever lost your passport? I do not recommend it. I was in London, England when my passport disappeared. Uh, I don't know if it was stolen. I don't know if I lost it, but I didn't have it. And after a bunch of late night phone calls, I ended up at the State Department in London, England. This very nice lady stepped from behind the counter. She put this passport in front of my face and she said, Dr. Glenn, this is your replacement passport. This is your only replacement passport. Do I make myself clear? Yes, ma'am. If you lose this one, if this one is stolen, you will not receive another replacement passport. We suggest you duct tape it to your chest. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so I land in New York on my way back, showing my passport. The agent says, sir, you'll need to step over here to this line. So I step over to that line. I get to talk to some people from immigration. And they're going over my passport. And this nice agent tells me, Dr. Glenn, um, whenever you travel and you book your plane when your connection in the U.S., you need to give yourself about three hours. Why? Oh, we're going to pull you out of line. Why? Because you lost your passport. We're going to pull you out of line anytime you come back. For how long? Until you're dead. <laughs> okay. Just give myself plenty of time. But let me tell you something. When you're in a different country and you don't have your passport, you don't have any way to prove who you are, that you're a citizen of a different nation, that you have the rights and the privileges of being a citizen of a different nation, that you're just out there. You don't have any way to make people believe that you are who you say you are. And for that hour and a half train ride from Cambridge to London, I didn't have my passport. Nobody knew who I was. And I couldn't prove it to anybody. As Christians, we are the citizens of a different kingdom. We have all the rights, all the privileges, all the responsibilities of being citizens of the kingdom of God. It's just that right now, a lot of us can't prove it. We've lost our passport to the kingdom of God. We're citizens. We just can't prove it. We're not the first people to struggle with what it means to live as citizens of the kingdom of God in a different country, in a different kingdom, in a different world. 
the early church. This was a continual theme. And as the New Testament is written, this, this theme is addressed and reinforced again and again. One of the latest books we have is the book of Hebrews. And at the end of this epistle, this writing of Hebrews, the writer makes this point one last time. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. Chapter 13, we'll begin reading with verse 7. Now remember your leaders who have spoken God's Word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Now don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulation, since those who observe them have not benefited. We have an altar from those for which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that He might sanctify the people by His own blood. Let us then go outside the camp with Him and bear His disgrace." For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. We do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one that is to come. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. We pray you will stir up, O oh Lord, this homesickness within us. Remind us that we're on a journey to a place that is not built by hands, but is established by your love place that is given to us and cannot be taken away. We pray this in your name. Amen. A few months ago I was invited to spend an evening with our students in their Wednesday night worship time. And it was uh, me sitting up there with Garrett Gregory, our student minister, and we had a Q&A. Uh, just kind of pot shots at Mike and we talked about a lot of their issues and a lot of their questions. And, and had a good time. I, I, I love spending uh, time with our students in, in that kind of setting. Uh, as I was leaving, David Moody, who teaches the 12th grade young men, came up and said, uh, the guys want to know if you'll come spend the night with them. I said, okay. So we set up and I came back another Wednesday night, sat in a small room with a dozen or so of our young men, and we did the same thing. We talked about the kind of questions and issues they're dealing with. Uh, we, we talked about what it is to kind of have uh, two expectations of your life, one in the world and one in this. And, and as I began talking with them, I, uh, it hit me, wow, these guys are planning my summer sermon series. Uh, we, live, we leave the summer open in our sermon plan so that each pastor can address the particular needs of each campus. If there's a particular uh, point of emphasis or something in particular they need to address, we give them several weeks to do that. And so I have several weeks that are open and I begin to talk with these guys and I said, wow, 
if I just take good notes here, they'll plan my sermon series for me. And we did. So all of this is coming out, all these next couple of weeks is coming out of conversations I had with those 12th grade uh, young men on that particular night. And, and this one comes from a particular point of, uh, of exasperation by one of the young men. Uh, we were talking about what the world teaches and what the world expects in political correctness, da 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 We were talking about what the kingdom of God and being, and being a follower of Christ and what he expects. And finally one of them just yelled out, well, who makes the rules? It's a good question, isn't it? Sometimes we're all caught in that question. Sometimes we're not sure who makes the rules, who has the power to enforce right, wrong expectations, what's not accepted. And the particular reality is that as Christians, we are caught in sometimes a conflict of dual allegiances. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are subjects in his kingdom. We also live in the United States of America, and we are citizens of the United States of America. Now, most of the time, there is no clash of expectations. Sometimes there is. So, in that moment when there is a clash of expectations, when there is a different requirement for each allegiance, who do you respond to? Who do you obey? Who do you listen to? Well, that depends. What does it depend on? It depends on where you have chosen to go. It depends on your destination. Now, it wasn't too long ago, maybe a generation or so, when you would hear a lot of different sermons on heaven. Everybody wanted to know what was he heaven was like. Uh, and we would spend a lot of time reading Revelation about the gates of pearl and the walls of jade and the streets of gold. So much so that the world accused us of being so heavenly minded that we were no earthly good. And yes, there was an overcompensation sometimes of people who were living in very, very tough situations that nobody would help them address, including the church, because we kept telling them, hang on, you'll be in heaven and it'll all be good one day. Well, heaven is not an excuse for disobedience or laziness now. Okay? We wanted to know all the details. Listen. We have to give John a little credit in Revelation. We have to give him a little slap, too. He's trying to describe what cannot be described. Amen. While he is on Patmos in that island in the middle of the sea, Jesus lifts him up just high enough so he can see over the horizon of time to what will be, what is coming. And he wants to show this to the church to encourage them. So he does his best to describe what can't be described. And he used the best things he knew, the most beautiful things he knew. My guess is when we get there, it won't be close to the reality. All of you say, right, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus about that. No, you won't. <laughs> It'll be a couple of million years before you get your breath. A couple of million years from now, you hear everybody go, ah! as we start to breathe again. Paul gives us a hint. 
we will know him even as he knows us. Nothing separating us. Nothing keeping us from knowing Jesus as fully and as deeply as he knows us. Now, how do you describe that moment? Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? You come back from your vacation and you say, hey, where'd you go? Went to the, vaca- uh, went to the Grand Canyon. What was, it, what was it like? What'd you say? It was big. It was deep. Big, deep. Well, that doesn't quite catch it, does it? You ever been in love? Trying to explain that? Trying to answer the question of a young person who comes up to you and says, well, how did you know you were in love? And you end up going, well, you know. (laughs) Can't describe it. You can't describe what can't be described. And poor John on that island by himself trying to come up with something to let you know that there is no way in your imagination you can catch what it is like to be with Jesus that close, that intimate. That is where we are going. That is where our journey is taking us. That is our destination to be fully, to be fully with our King. King. Now, we have grown up in a democracy. We don't understand what it is to live under a king. Uh, We have legislatures who pass laws. We may obey that law. We may not. We may sue them to get that law withdrawn or overturned. Uh, The the legal system may enforce it, may not. So we're used to this kind of give and take between the rights of the greater good and the rights of the individual. We have that kind of conversation, not so under a king or queen. There was a thing called divine right. And that is the kings of the day which said that I am on this throne because I have been given this divine right by God himself. God sits on the throne in heaven. I, as king, sit on the throne here. And if a king wanted to do something, the king could do it. And there was nothing you could do about it. They could take your land. They could take the harvest of your crops. They could take your property. They could take your daughter in marriage. They could put your sons in their army. And you couldn't say anything about it. And if push came to shove, they could take your life. And no one would appeal. There would be no civil rights lawyer going This person has a right. This person has been abused. Nobody would do that. The king's word was absolute. We serve a risen king. He wasn't elected. He was appointed by the Father. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You've heard the bumper, seen the bumper sticker, Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. No. Jesus said it, that settles it. It'd be nice for you to agree, but it's not necessary. 
His word is law. His word is action. He speaks it, it is done. That's what it is to be under a king. We have a king. As citizens of the kingdom of God, as subjects of King Jesus, we have all of the rights, all the privileges of being part of the kingdom of God. We have all the responsibilities of being in the kingdom of God. And because we are under His authority, He has placed us here as ambassadors. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. And you are assigned to your community and to the place where you are to represent the ultimate authority of the kingdom of God wherever you are and in whatever you're doing in your life. You do it with the understanding that we will serve the nation as long as the nation never calls for us to, con to, to deny or as long as the laws of the nation never conflict with, this, with the standards of the kingdom of God. Most of the time they don't. We're very fortunate. Sometimes they do. And when they do, we choose Jesus. We choose Jesus. Now understand me. When you make that choice, it will cost you. Jesus promised that. It will cost some of you jobs, promotions. Somebody will take you out to lunch or pull you to the side and say, listen, man, we would have loved to have had you in our firm, but everybody knows you're a Christian. And honestly, it would cost us with some of our clients if they knew we hired a Christian. It's already happening. Some of you won't be able to take certain promotions because you're a Christian. You won't get admitted to certain graduate schools because you're a Christian. This is already happening. But we make our stand. We make our choice. Because as the psalmist says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than sit at the table of the rich and wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Amen. And it all depends on where you've decided to go. The destination, the destination you've chosen. Now, a lot of you are going to look at me going, Woo, where was I the day we made the choice about destinations? I don't remember making that choice. You're right. The world didn't give you a chance. See, if the world wants you to do is keep your nose to the grindstone and keep you dealing with the urgent moment to moment to moment to moment, that you never have time to look up and ask, is there more to life? That you never have time to look around going, is this all there is? They just put the pressure on you. Are you in high school? Well, you better make good grades because you got to get into college. If you don't get into college, you're dead. Your life's over at 18, okay? You got to get into college. You got to get into college. Were you in college? That college is no longer good enough. You got to get into grad school. You know how hard it is to get into grad school? You got to work, work, work. Now you got a grad school. Now you got a degree. <gasps> now you got to get a job. 
well, you got to get a job and you better be good at your job. You better be willing to work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Why? Because everybody else is. It's a dog-eat-dog world, Mike. It's a jungle out there. You should see the competition. And before you know it, you have made a decision. And you've made real good time to a place you never wanted to be. So your first question is, where have you chosen to go? Where is your destination? If you're not careful, you will put off this decision. You will think about it until the decision is made for you. The old preachers used to tell a story about a man standing in the window of a burning building and the fireman below him yelling, jump, jump, jump. And they will remind you, if this man doesn't jump, sooner or later, the building will make the decision for him. So where's your destination? Because if you have chosen a destination, then that determines how you get there. You going to Smyrna this afternoon? You probably don't need to catch a plane. Not needed to go to Smyrna. Going to London? You better figure out a way to get across that ocean. See, where you're going determines how you get there. So let me ask you, are you headed to the kingdom of God? Is that where you have chosen to go? Is that your destination? And if it is, what are you doing now to assure that? Not that it's your work, but it's always your choice. Are you making those eternal choices that will stand after everything else fades away? Are you making those decisions now that get you where you say you want to go. The book of Hebrews is some of the deepest Christology we have, the study of Christ. And what's frustrating when you read the book of Hebrews is in the opening chapters he says, I wish I could bring you meat. I wish I could bring you something really, really strong to chew on. But you're not ready for that, so I have to bring you milk. Then the rest of the letter is some of the deepest and thickest teaching on Jesus we have. You can spend the rest of your life taking apart this book. And I'm thinking as I'm reading this, what in the world does this guy know about Jesus that he can't tell us yet? That we just couldn't handle? If this is the easy stuff, I'm glad he didn't take us to the hard stuff. The interesting thing about the last chapter, uh, one of the things about Hebrews is you've heard it called a letter. It doesn't look like a letter. There's no opening, you know, to, there's no end of the letter. It reads more like a sermon. And if you get to chapter 13, you'll see all of these one-liners that don't go together. Just bam, 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 bam. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That doesn't go with a sentence before or after. Uh, listen to your leaders. Watch how they live. And as they live, if, if, if it's uh, faithful to what Jesus is teaching them to do, then follow them as examples. And, and then we go into other stuff. You can almost see the preacher looking at the back wall and realizing, I've got to land this plane. 
but there's so much more I wanted to say that I really wanted to spend some time with, but I'll give you a one-liner just to get you thinking about it. And in all of that, he wants to be sure to remind you that this world isn't your home. Don't forget, we do not long for a city here. We long for one that is to come. So where is your destination? Where have you chosen? Be careful. Because if you don't choose, the choice will be made for you. So where's your choice? Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, listen, I don't want to put you on the spot or embarrass you. I, I don't want to do that. But honestly, for some of you, it is the first time you have looked up. You've been busy from one thing to the next, one urgent thing to the next, doing this, doing that, running, racing, got to get this done, got never thinking about where your journey was taking you. And now you're realizing you're making real good time to a place you don't want to go. You're quickly becoming somebody you don't want to be. And the Lord has given you this moment to think about it to remind you that there's a different destination, a different place. He made it possible through his death and through his resurrection. He paid for all of those wrong choices you've made. He's now offering you a life of hope and purpose. You didn't even know it was possible, but now is open through him. I, I know, I'm saying a whole lot and just a handful of words. That's why our counselors, our pastors are waiting out next to us table that says next step. The reason we're out there is so we can talk with you, so we can listen to you, so we can hear your story, so we can answer your questions, explain it, so you can know how much Jesus loves you and what he's done. Don't leave this place, I beg you, not knowing where you're headed. For some of you, it's as simple as becoming part of Brentwood Baptist Church. We'd love to have you in our church family. You come. We're waiting for you. Our Lord Jesus is waiting for you right where you are. The church waits for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make are exactly what you want.